What is up, everybody? Welcome to Comic Book Club. I'm Alex. I'm Pete. And Justin is once again out for the moment, probably for the whole show this time, unfortunately. He's working on the boys. He's. Do you know what he's doing right now, Pete? Sucking on a cheesesteak. <laughs> probably. But... <laughs> Speaking of sucking on cheesesteaks, you are what is this now, transition? You are now on the DC teat. You uh, got uh, one gift box, and now like mm-hmm. the stack is eighty-two DC books because you are all <laughs> in on DC now. This is so DC fandom happened this weekend. We taped a special podcast episode all about it. Thank you. Because you made us. Because I did not make you. I asked you. You got a gift box from DC, and we're like, oh, I've got to do this fandom thing now. And then guilted us into doing a podcast because you, for some reason, saw all eight hours of it. Just listen, Pete, just because I got a Harvey Bullock Pop Funko, a hat. A signed Jim Lee print, limited edition of the That's, DC Universe. Jim, you, you had me a Jim Lee print. There you go. You're in now, too, right? You're all yeah. DC? Yeah. Yeah. Let's say it officially. Marvel. <laughs> oh, come on. Right? No. Image no. Comics. No, come on. Steve. No, I lose it up. I was making the sound, but I was doing a thumbs up because I like it. Image is great. Image yeah. Is Dark Horse. Hey, come on. No, I'm just doing thumbs and like sounds and things. It's just a fun bit. You're a real dad. <laughs> I am. Oh, God. Let this quarantine so, end. So eight hours of straight DC. Uh, you've got to be changed. You've got to look at the world differently. Are things darker to you now? You can't sleep at night, so you already are a completely different well, person. Not that I interact with other people, because we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to social distance. But I get very close to people, and I imagine kicking the shit out of them. Oh, wow. Just that, like the Batman. <laughs> hey, that's all I used to do, right around the subway, and just mm-hmm. imagine, like, what if this guy came at me? What would I do? Like, what would this guy, you know? Mm-hmm. That's how my mind works. Yeah, I do the same thing. And we're like, oh, God, what if they came at me? What do I do? <laughs> <laughs> what if Pete got me? <laughs> uh, definitely check out the DC Fandom episode, because it was really fascinating and a much bigger success than I expected. It was very surprising. Uh, we talked about some of the big trailers, some of the big events there. So you can check that out in the comic book club feed. But you know what? That's the past, Pete. That was Saturday. We moved on as a society. It's Tuesday. And it is time for some amazing guests on the show. We've got two great guests for you all. I'll tell you what. While I'm introducing him, I'm going to invite our first guest into the feed here. So hopefully everything works. He is a lawyer specializing, I don't know if this is true, in comic book law. Definitely going to ask him about that. He is the writer of the business of independent comic book publishing, Kamal Hennessy. Hello. Hey, welcome. Hello, How are you? How's Hello. First of all, did I pronounce your name correctly? Kamal Hennessy? You did. And uh, you are one of the few people that actually does it right on the first try. <laughs> so I appreciate you already. Oh, my gosh. This is the first time in the history of the show that I got it right the first time. So, <laughs> Oh, well, that just makes me special. That's fine. There we go. Glad to hear it. Uh, so, first of all, Correct my preconception about this. Uh, you're you're a lawyer. Do you specialize in comic book law, or is that just sort of your chosen area of focus? How does that work? I actually specialize in comic book law because comic book law you. is a 
Well, every lawyer specializes in something, right, to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. Comic book law is a subset of publishing law, which is also a subset of entertainment law. So it's a specialization of a specialization. So I've kind of narrowed myself into a very, very small box. <laughs> um, but it's the box that I've been, you know, in since I was four it's years old. It's a great old, box, so yeah. If this has got to be the box, it's better than like, you know, insurance law or medical yeah. malpractice or something yeah. like that. I mean, they uh, make more than I do, but that's, you know, <laughs> if, if I may, Alex started off with, uh, first off, my first off is I love your background. I love what you got going on right there. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's nice to see that you are, uh, in, into something that you're also into, you know what I mean? Well, that is one of the reasons that I got into comic book law is like, well, if I want to keep reading comic books, right. And I want to be able to rationalize it as a professional. Yeah. How would I do it? Well, if I just became a comic book lawyer, then I'd have to read comic books all the <laughs> done time. Done and done. So, yeah. yeah. So I'm reading comic books now, and I'm working. You know, Living the dream. Exactly. exactly. So I, I want to know, I, I don't know how much you're allowed to talk about this, but I'm curious about what type of cases that means that. I th I'm sure you get jokes all the time like, how was the case of Hulk versus Captain America? Who won in that? But <laughs> what, 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 how does it actually pan out? Like, what is... A typical case that you're going to tackle what well one of the things that i do exclusively is i do transactional work so if an artist gets a deal from a publisher wants to know well first of all is there a contract second what does the contract actually say what does it mean i explain that contract to them so they actually understand what they're signing what they're giving up what they're getting and if it makes sense to them in where they want to go in their career now, if people come together and they want to make an independent book, like two guys decide, oh, we're friends, let's make Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or something. And what you need to do there is you need to help them set up the company. You need to actually have them set up the contracts just in case. Well, even for the basic agreement, you need to know who's going to do what, who's going to handle the marketing, who's going to handle the inking, who's going to handle the print management to make sure that everybody knows what they're supposed to do. And when the money comes in, Who's supposed to get what? And if Netflix happens to call, you don't want to start trying to figure out who gets what of that deal after the call. You need to kind of figure that out before all of that happens so that when they call, you can tell them where to send the money and everybody's happy. So that's that's usually what I do. If people want to sue each other for, you know, infringement or breach a contract or anything like that, I don't do that. I like to bring people together. I nice. don't really like to, you know, I'm not there for the fights, basically. It's such an interesting area to focus on, too, because, and this is very much coming from the outside, but even when you're talking about a lot of the big publishers, Marvel, DC, Image, mm -hmm. Dark Horse, Boom, etc., it often feels from the outside like comics is just the Wild West, like people just going crazy, not necessarily following rules. So there has to, I imagine, be a lot of explaining that's going on there, sitting down, being like, no, this is how it actually works. This is how you actually need to do it. That is the fundamental. You have just explained the fundamental genesis of the book, because what I was I spent a lot of time doing was a trying to convince people, and this is actually happening less and less now that you have things like the MCU and the streaming wars, but explaining to people why they needed a contract in the first place, and then explaining to them what the contract was supposed to say and why it was supposed to say it. And, but then I, I realized, 
you get them comfortable with the contract process. You get them comfortable with the legal process. But because they're artists, because they have a creative background, that's their training or their you know, predisposition, they don't understand marketing or team management or distribution or advertising or sales because no one has ever explained it to them, especially in the unique ecosystem that is comics. Comics actually works as a business, works differently than other types of businesses. So even if you have a day job and you, you understand, you know, distribution channels and things like that, you may not understand the direct market because the direct market is a different thing. So that's what I try to do in the book to explain everything, the entire process. So a reader goes from their initial idea, I want to make comics, to I am now, you know, Aftershock or I am Image because I have a catalog and I have a business process that I can replicate over and over again. So just to set up the book, I think I started to say the title before, but it's The Business of Independent Comic Book Publishing. It's on Kickstarter now. Mm -hmm. I think there's 15 days to go as Mm -hmm. of this taping, but it's already way funded, like super funded. That's probably going to feel pretty good at this point, right? Well, it does feel pretty good. Thank you. But the (laughs) idea, the original idea when I started writing it because was I was going to make a big splash at New York Comic Con 2020. And I was in the last three or four oh. paid uh, chapters of the book when the pandemic hit. And I was like, okay, well, um, we're not going to do this at Comic Con. How are we going to do it? So I, the people that I've been working with building up this project, they said, well, if you create an event with Kickstarter, you can actually channel the same kind of energy just over 30 days instead of over three days. And they turned out to be right because, you know, we're like, I don't know, 415% funded or something wow. like that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, so it worked out. Well, given the pandemic, and I know we're... I know it doesn't feel like this to anybody, but relatively speaking, we're still kind of early days in terms of how is it affecting businesses long term or anything. I know, Pete, we're several months in. I'm aware of that. <laughs> I have not left my house either, okay? Uh, but... That seems like it's going to fundamentally change every business, including the comic book business. How does that affect your book? Are you reevaluating? Are you uh, tweaking anything? Are you tweaking how you approach law at all? Well, there was a specific chapter. Um, it was chapter 75. That was on. There's a lot of chapters in this book. There are 77, <laughs> I believe. And one Ooh. of the next to last chapters was how to deal with a changing industry. Because every industry, because a book takes several months or several years to put together, the industry, your life circumstances, circumstances in the world, society circumstances, economic circumstances might change. So you have to be able to adapt to those changes within the life cycle of one comic or between comics. You, you know, the, the world that you live in when your first comic comes out may not be the world you live in when your 200th issue comes out. So. The chapter was supposed to be about that theoretical ability to deal with change, but I scrapped the whole chapter and just made it about, well, COVID is actually a case study in what you have to do if you're making comics to be able to roll with the inevitable punches when diamonds stop distribution, all the comic book stop sh- shops closed, um, the, all the conventions either shut down or went to digital. That's like most uh, a lot of the distribution channels if you're talking about physical media so if you're a publisher or you're a creator how do you how do you adjust to that so yes there were some things that had to be tweaked 
and some whole chapters that had to be rewritten. But I was at home. I couldn't go anywhere. So <laughs> I rewrote it. Nice. Are there any particular, I mean, again, I don't know how much you can talk about this, but I'm sure people are wondering, uh, watching or listening right now, are there any cases in particular that were interesting to you or uh, matchups between creators that presented an interesting difficulty? You don't necessarily have to name names or anything like that. Oh, I, I, I can name names because A, it wasn't it. my case, and B, it was part of the public record. Um, McFarlane and Gaiman. The, if you're familiar with this case, it was a situation where McFarlane and Gaiman, like many comic book creators, were friends. They had a good relationship. So McFarlane says to Gaiman, write a couple issues of, I guess it was Spawn, I'll take care of you. Those were his exact words. Then Gaiman created Angela, and he might have created yeah. Medieval Spawn or something like that. And these were, these were not, like a lot of my clients... They are just starting out, or they're just they're they're emerging talents, or they're emerging companies. So, but these two were at the point where this happened were very prominent in the industry. They were both A-listers in the industry, and even at that level, there was no contract. Wow. The one thing that I tell every one of my clients is it doesn't make a difference if it's your best friend or your romantic partner or your mom who's with you making this comic, you need a contract to spell out who's going to do what, who's going to get what. Not that you, because you believe people are going to be underhanded, but because A, memories are faulty, and B, things change. And you want to be able to understand what everyone agreed to when they agreed to it, even if you happen to be Todd McFarlane and Neil Gaiman. Mm -hmm. It is really fascinating that, again, this is very much an outside perspective, but it feels like things like that, it happens almost more often when the people are friends, that you do have those big splits that lead to something down the road, particularly when it's a big property like what you're saying or Walking Dead comes to the top of mm -hmm. mind, um, mm -hmm. those sort of things. Well, you have two dynamics going on, especially in comics. Um, very few people go into making comics without loving comics in the first place. It's not like you want to get into movies because you just think you're going to be rich. You yeah. get into comics because you love comics. Otherwise, I've rarely read anyone who's in comics for, for the cash. You know for what I mean? <laughs> exactly. So you get people who are very passionate about the medium and the message that they're you know, trying to get out into the world. And they usually work with people they know. They're friends. I mean, you have a situation now that people are actually reaching out to international talent, A, because the page rates are lower, and B, because there's so much talent out in the world. But you still get a lot of people making books who are friends. So if you have friends who are working on something that they're really passionate about, a lot of times the last thing that they will think about is, oh, we yeah. need to call up a lawyer because we need to get a contract because we may be sitting on the next Transformers for all we know. Mm. So we got to figure it out. Uh, this is a question for the comments, which I think I know the answer to, but uh, just to clarify, Eduardo says, I may have missed this, but does he work for a firm where comic books are one area of practice or does he work independently in a comics exclusive practice? Oh, I actually have my own practice. It's called uh, Creative Contract Consulting. I started the firm in 2000 and 
1984, and I've been working in the, in the field. Well, I've been working in the field of comics since 99, but I started my own firm in 2004 or 5. If, let's say, Pete and I were working on a book, right? Like, mm-hmm. Which we're not. But if we're working on a book, Pete's the artist, I'm the writer in this case. Uh, what would we need to do? What would we need to bring to you to get the process started? Well, the first thing that you would need to bring to me is a fundamental understanding of what it is your relationship is between the two of you. Because if one of you is the writer, one of you is the artist, that's great. But the next question is, well, what project are you working on? Is this an original project? Is this a public domain project, like a Sherlock Holmes or a, you know, something like that? And is it a if I'm, the, if I'm the writer, I want a bigger cut because I'm doing most of the work. You're just writing. No, I'm you're the artist, Pete. The I'm the writer. I'm the writer in this case. No, that's what I'm saying. The artist should get paid more because I'm creating we'll, the we'll, world. You're just we'll writing. Get to all that. See, you know what? This, this is, what is done. <laughs> it's over. See, this is what I mean. This is, what, this is exactly what I'm talking The third, Well, the third thing you have to figure out is the actual legal relationship between the two of you. Is it a collaboration where you're going to share the proceeds, the revenue that comes in afterward? Or is it like a work-for-hire deal where, in many cases, the writer hires the artist yeah. to do a lot of Pay the artwork? So, but the artist then gets paid up front, but doesn't share in any of the actual revenue streams that come in on the back end, unless That's there's fine. a royalty split. So the, your, I need to understand what you're working on and what your relationship is going to be between the two of you and then we can actually work out what the contract's going to be because a collaboration agreement has fundamental differences from a work-for-hire agreement. So that's like the first thing that people need to figure out. I also need to figure out who is your letterer, who is your colorist, who is yeah. your flatter, who is your editor, and all those other things. Because usually the writer and artist, they get together and they're excited about a book. It's like, okay, that's not the whole book. Where is the rest of the book? Hmm. Yeah. Well, according to the comments, uh, Kevin here has claimed that he is our letterer, uh, first-hand up guy, is coloring the book. Uh, but Straight Bullet uh, has a question for you. And I don't know if you know the answer. This might actually be a question even for our next guest when we get to him. But how does a company like Imagework create her own properties but published under a giant publisher umbrella? How does that financial breakdown work? Well, okay. you got to keep in mind that there are basically in comics – Three types of publishing, if you're just talking about print. There's independent publishing, where you put out your own book, like um, Away Blue World or Aftershock or Mad Cave or somebody like that. There is freelance publishing, where you work for another company, whether it's a small company or some one of the big two or whoever. And then a creator-owned deal is, or a creator-driven deal is a more accurate title. A creator-driven deal is a kind of thing where you come in with a property. You've done the artistic creative portion, and you go to a publisher, whether it's a comic-specific publisher or a big publisher like Random House or Scholastic who has a graphic novel imprint, and you say, I will share the proceeds from this book if you handle all the business stuff, the distribution, the printing, the sales, the marketing, all that stuff that I don't want to do. I will give you a piece of the, this project in exchange for me not having to do the piece that I don't want to do. Now, with Image, in of, I believe that deal is actually unique among creator-driven I mean, creator deals because 
you actually, there's a certain amount that you have to, well, you have to be accepted by image because they have certain quality control standards. And then once you actually agree to be involved with image, they split the revenue with you. They handle all of the actual business logistics and payouts and everything else for the book. But I believe you still have to bring in the creative team. You, the final pages, you have to deliver those. They're not going to go out and find you an artist. That's not their job. Mm-hmm. Then, but the other good thing about Image, compared to a lot of other publishers who um, are not as beneficial to creators, is that Image does not try to sit on your um, media rights, which means a lot of publishers, you'll go to them with a creator-owned deal, and they'll say, okay, great, we'll publish your book. But in the embedded in the contract is language that says we will also control the rights to your film, television, mm. interactive merchandise, and everything else. And by the way, you probably will never get those rights back, and probably you'll never get paid just because we've used some Hollywood accounting to make sure that you never get any money. Image con- the image contracts that I've seen don't work like that. If you get an image, if your book is an image, an image, you know. They'll put out the book, you get the cut, everybody's happy. You get a Netflix deal, Image just, you know, prints a new, they go to another printing because they're not going to sell more comics. They're not trying Mm -hmm. to take your Netflix rights, at least in the context that I've seen. Yeah, as far as I've heard it, I've heard it referred to as Image Comics is a printing press, essentially. Mm -hmm. Like a printing press plus, because they do a couple of other things there. Um, Interesting. But Yeah, but there is a, I mean, it's not like going with like Print Ninja, and right. going with image because to have the image um, logo on your book, there is a certain threshold of well, yes, they were accepted by image as opposed mm-hmm. to you know print them. Print, print Ninja does some <laughs> fine books, but it doesn't you know. I don't know. I'm uh, Print Ninja or die is what I've always been. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, before we wrap up here, I just want to mention uh, over on YouTube, Radlam says, just back the Kickstarter as a lawyer and a comic book fan. I would love to read more about these themes. Congratulations on getting the comic book club bump right there. There you go. Uh, and uh, to wrap back around, who would win at a legal battle, Hulk or Captain America? A legal battle? That would depend <laughs> on the nature of the um, dispute at hand. If you're talking mm-hmm. about, because Basically, Captain America could actually invoke a lot of privileges of elder law because he is technically a very old man, whereas Hulk would probably be liable for a lot more actual damage in like a civil suit because he would destroy physical, more physical property. So there you go. But couldn't he then blame Bruce Banner for getting him into this mess? You know what I mean? Couldn't it be like a countersuit against (laughs) Dr. Banner? Well, I believe Banner would have better lawyers because he has more cash. (laughs) I mean, Hulk doesn't even have pockets to have a wallet. So there you go. Awesome. Good amount. Thank you so much for coming on. It was a pleasure. Good luck with the Kickstarter, though it seems like you don't need it. It's doing awesomely. Uh, Thanks for taking the time. Thank you, gentlemen. Enjoyed it. All right. Cool. Thanks. All right, folks. Uh, there you go. Once again, the book is called The Business of Independent Comic Book Publishing. It's on Kickstarter right now for, depending on when you're listening to this, but the next 15 days or so. Uh, that's awesome. That's really cool. It's, yeah. it's so much fun to find out about different sides of this industry. So very exciting. Well, it's interesting because like his genesis, uh, he's basically like, I want to get paid to support my comics habit, you know, and that's kind of like an interesting way to kind of come at it. 
yeah. he went he went that route. It's kind of disgusting that we didn't ask any Daredevil questions, right? Yeah, or yeah, She Hulk. I mean, we could have gone sure. Little, yeah. Messed up <laughs> big time. Uh, instead, let's invite our next guest into the stream here. He is the writer of one of our favorite books that we've been reviewing over the past couple of months that has been coming out from Image Comics. Not so coincidentally, I guess. Uh, his name's Chris Condon. The book is called That Texas Blood. Uh, and it is a noir-inflected book that he does with artist Jacob Phillips. Um, that has, let's see, I think the fourth issue is coming out soon. Hey, Chris Condon! Hey, how are you guys doing? How are you guys doing? All right. Thanks, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, as we were saying in the intro, I don't know if you could hear that part, but we are loving that Texas blood. We yeah. talk about every issue on our stack podcast. It's so good. Uh, well, thank you very much. I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, I, I always say this to everybody who, who shares their thoughts with us about the comic. Uh, and I just, the fact that you're reading it. Thank you. The fact that you're liking it just a bonus that's that's awesome i yeah. i'm just we me and jacob we i mean we didn't really even think that anybody would really be reading it so, so well, it's the, fun it's great the third issue comes out tomorrow i thought it was fourth yes. for a second but i looked that up uh the thing so it's a noir tale essentially set in texas yeah the thing that i think is really fascinating about it that immediately and pete feel free to jump in but drew us in is it it initially tells almost this done in one story in the first issue, but once you get into the second issue, it's clear that you're telling something bigger about this whole town and perhaps Texas as well. Uh, what was the initial germ? What was the genesis of the idea? So the germ of the idea was, um, so issues two through six are telling a story about this guy named Randy. And that, that was the initial idea was this sort of story. I, I I was a big fan of a movie called HUD, uh, which is a Martin Ritt film. Uh, It's based off of a book uh, written by Larry McMurtry called Horseman Pass By. And I had this idea, what would happen to this one character if he had left town and had come back because of, you know, bad circumstances? Um, And so that was the germ of the idea. And so that was years and years and years ago. And then uh, just, you know, kind of sat on the back burner and then I finally wrote it. Uh, and then after I wrote it, I, it, it was originally a film idea, um, which is it's I wrote that in the, the letter for issue one. Um, and the, when I first wrote it, I, I thought it would be a good idea to kind of uh, to try and get money going for a film because uh, uh, the, the, the one film had just come out that there was a short they had made. For whiplash mm-hmm. and they had made a short to get funding for the film and so i thought it'd be an interesting idea to not just take a scene from the film which is what they did and filmed that uh what i thought would be interesting would be to take a character that's sort of a side character in the film and make that our lead character and just have a sort of side story uh that introduces the town introduces the people introduces the 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 feel and the atmosphere of the story. And so that's where the first issue of that Texas blood came from was that. And, uh, that was actually, that was a short film called Passive prologue. And then I couldn't even get the funding for that. And, uh, Jacob was doing concept art for me on that. Um, cause I was seeing his backups in, uh, in killer be killed for yeah. his hit and Ed Brubick, which was a series that I was loving at the time. Yeah. And, yeah. um, still love it. 
I shouldn't say at the time. I still <laughs> now you hate it. Um, confirmed. Go on. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I mean, I, I asked him to do it based off of that. I sent him the script. I asked him if he liked it. Maybe he'd be willing to do it. Um, and he he liked it. And so after about a year, just trying to get it going, get it going, get it going, nothing was happening. There were stops and starts. You know, it's like you get a little bit here, and you think it's going to happen, and then that falls apart. Sort of just the world of film. Uh, and I had always been a comic book fan. I, uh, you know, I, I mean, I go every, every Wednesday. Um, and I just, I emailed him in December of 2018, I believe. And I mm. said, do you maybe just want to try to do this as a comic? Cause he hadn't had a comic at that point. I had always been interested in writing comics, but was never like fully per- like pursuing it, um, for whatever reason, uh, and that's, that's really where it came from was, was that initial meeting. And he, he was enthusiastic about it. I was enthusiastic about it and we had no idea image would come on board. That took a number of months to hear back from them, you know, and as I actually said to Jacob, I was like, let's just send it to image. You know, you never know. Cause we were sending it to, you know, smaller labels because we're both untested talent, you know? Mm-hmm. So I didn't think anybody was really going to come on board, but let alone image, which is incredible. Yeah, it's huge. Now, are you uh, from Texas? I mean, it's it's the background is uh, is great, and it really feels like you're you're speaking from the heart there. On that. Well, this is a contentious uh, question because uh, no, 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 I'm not. I'm not from Texas. Okay, I'm I'm actually from New Jersey. Oh wow! Um, mm. Yeah, I, I don't I'll know. I'll tell why. you what. That New Jersey blood doesn't like roll <laughs> off the tongue in the same way. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's all about uh, Taylor Ham, Egg, and Cheese, you know. <laughs> Where's the pork roll? I don't know. You know, <laughs> the of the... Dead. Yeah, yeah. Killed. But, uh, yeah. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know. I was always... I always gravitated towards Texas, the West in general. Um, and, yeah, I, I don't know wh- what exactly drew me to it. I Probably just film and, and novels and, and comics drew me towards that region. Um, and then... Uh, when I was out in LA, I was living um, in Burbank, and I was—I um, became good friends with a, a family that actually is from West Texas. They're from Fort Davis, Texas, which is right next to Marfa, Texas, and uh, so they kind of introduced me to their sort of Texas ways, and that was how I got into like getting a genuine Texas feel of nice, things, yeah. and uh, uh, and also visiting uh, Fort Davis and Marfa and. Uh, getting to know the people there. Um, there's a guy in issue one who's directly based off of somebody um, <laughs> whose name is Ty Mitchell. He owns a, a place called the Lost Horse. Got an eye patch on his eye. Wow. Dogs walking on the that. bar. So it's, you know, it's. it's Wait, you fun. say walking on the bar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. I don't know if the health department should know about yeah. that. But, uh, <laughs> that place is going to get shut down now. Texas is a it's <laughs> it's a different place, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, on that note, this is a question over on YouTube. Uh, Ramsey Hassan says, "How is it working with something very Texan with a British artist? Do you send him a lot of photo reference?" I mean, given that you're in New Jersey, he's I guess in the UK. He is in the how UK. do you work that out? How do how do you actually set up the geography of the town? Well, so it's, I mean, it's all a fictional county. I told him basically it's based on this area. So the area is essentially Fort Davis, Marfa, Alpine, 
Uh, so it's a few towns. Um, it's a small force. So that was another thing that we discussed. And uh, when we were first doing our, our pitch packet kind of thing for, uh, well, actually, even before that, with the concept art, you know, he asked me, what were you really thinking? I told him this place and I said, this highway and speci- specifically um, would be really cool. And, um, and so he just sort of, used google maps <laughs> and that's i think how he does most of his work i send him some references here and there even on brutal dark our digital thing uh i send him some references if i have a very specific image in mind uh there was a character in issue two that was based off of elisha cook jr the character actor from uh yeah he's a great great actor i was just watching salem slot the toby hooper film and oh, yeah. he's great in that um, so it's just, it's sort of fun, even more fun, you know, in some ways to make it a comic instead of a movie, because I always had Elisha Cook in my brain. So, and I can never cast him because he's dead, but if I'm making a comic, I can, that's Elisha Cook, you know, and it's, it's fine. You get everybody in there. So nice. at this point, I mean, to follow this line of questioning in terms of the town, how much of it have you fleshed out? How much of the residents have you fleshed out? And for those of you who haven't been reading it, the first issue is seemingly at least this kind of Dunham one crime where he mostly focus on the town sheriff, but like you were talking about the second issue and without getting into spoilers, the third issue. And then beyond that focus on this guy who has got come back into town and particularly the third issue, we start to meet a lot more people that yeah, are showing yeah. up there, uh, which really expands the world in a very neat way. Well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, there's, I mean, I, I have the county kind of mapped out in my brain and I have all the town names and people who live in certain parts. And, um, there's an upcoming issue that we're going to do eventually, um, which is another one shot sort of story. It's a Christmas story actually. So, um, but that, that one, um, takes place in a, a town, that's not mentioned yet, but there's, there's sort of, there's Irving, Texas, there's all these sorts of, and they're all literary references and things like that. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I kind of mapped it out of my brain just so I can know where everything is, you know, and then same for Jacob. I mean, it helps him to know, okay, this is, you know, I'm going back to this place now. I am, you know, I've been here before, uh, versus, you know, city streets where it's like everything can kind of just be whatever it's the city. You know, everything looks the same. So, what's nice uh, is it's 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 paced in a way that doesn't drive you nuts. Like sometimes you have a story and they give you the end, and you're trying to figure out like who did it in a way, and they only give you a little bit of information, and it kind of can drive you nuts. What's nice is like you have this thing happen, but the pacing is it, it's not just you're not teasing us, you're not driving us insane with like withholding you're just kind of like widening the scope in a way that kind of really lets us understand what's going on it's kind of cool it's like you're zooming out on an event yeah well yeah i mean for me one of the the influences on on this not so much the the mystery of who did what to Mm -hmm. whom but it was it's sort of i always go back to the big sleep uh the raymond chandler novel because it, at the end of that novel, it doesn't really matter what happened, you know, mm-hmm. same thing with the big Lebowski, which is like a sort of kind of adaptation of the big sleep. I mean, that's where the title came from. And it's, right. you know, but it's, uh, it doesn't really matter. And that, that to me is like, that's, that's <laughs> the thing is that it's like, yeah, there's, there's crime and it's, it's happening. And, but 
at the end of the day, what matters is what's happening to our character. And so that's really what I wanted to, to focus on was, like you said, widening the scope on this character and just sort of like pulling back on him and just seeing more and more and sort of almost like an onion. You're just pulling the layers off of them, you know? It's pretty cool. Very the dude of you. <laughs> yeah. I, I am a huge fan of the Big Lebowski. If, is that, uh, is that do you have his sweater behind you right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like my, my girlfriend oh, okay. did for me, but... I, I would I would have one. I, I should probably have a white Russian right now, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I calm my nerves a little bit. <laughs> You're doing great. Uh, I, I do want to ask, I mean, when we're talking about influences, and I say this in a very complimentary way, but it's hard to read this book and not think about Criminal uh, and mm-hmm. Brubaker, Sean Phillips, for obvious reasons. Is that something that you were thinking about when you were putting this together? Were you trying to stay as far away from it as possible? Uh, how would you sort of calibrate that? Well, no, it wasn't something that I was thinking about. Um, it's definitely, I, I mean, even being mentioned in this, you know, same sentence, <laughs> criminals, pretty, pretty cool. Uh, I, I, I told Sean Phillips that I was like, this is an honor that you were, you know, I mean, I know that Jacob is his father, but it was an honor that he did. He did the variant cover for us. Yeah. Um, I, like I said, I didn't reach out to Jacob because he's Sean Phillips son. I reached out to him because I liked his artwork and killer be mm-hmm. killed. Um, and so it was never really in my mind that we were maybe kind of sort of being influenced by criminal. I mean, I definitely think it's probably just like in my bloodstream, you know, I've just sort of absorbed it. Um, but it was never conscious. Um, but I mean, I, I could tell you, like I was writing scripts for, for this and sending them out to Jacob, uh, when they came out with, uh, uh, junkies and I was just like, I was damn. <laughs> yeah. like, God damn! You know, because you you think what you're writing is okay, and then you read that and you're like, yeah. oh man, I have so far to go. You know, yeah. but it it's I mean that that book is in, in, incredible. I mean, every story arc that that comes out is is incredible. I mean, pulp is sort of a a side thing, but that was also a great story, and I really enjoyed that one. I I feel like that's probably I mean maybe you know that's sort of a criminal story it's not exactly but it sort of is but yeah their their work has been an influence on us for sure but one thing that i think has uh, veered in a different direction at least in these first couple of issues and i did i certainly don't know where it's necessarily going to go but it seems kinder in a certain way it seems to care about the characters where criminal purposely is often very vicious to the characters you feel for them in a certain way but it is about this almost nihilistic world we're here, we have these main characters who are making occasionally some bad decisions. Obviously, there's a lot of blood, there is some death, um, but there's also a niceness about it. Is, is that something you were trying to inject, or am I Yeah, I, I guess like what Alex is asking is, are you going to break our hearts later? Like, is this going to be really hard for us? Or? <laughs> well, I, I mean, here's the thing. I, I know what's coming down the road, and I'm, I'm seeing the... Uh, so J- Jacob is finishing up issue five right now. He's working on mm-hmm. that and he's sending me the pages for it. And I'm just like, Oh, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I thought it was kind of cool when I wrote it, like certain things that happened with it. And I was like, oh, that, that might be cool. And then when he's drawing and I'm just like, Oh my God, this is, um, yeah, I, I, I sort of, sort of put uh, I sort of tied Randy's hands behind his back, put him on wheels and rolled him down a hill, you know, oh, no. it's, it's sort of how I feel about it. Um, but yeah, I personally, I, I think Texas sort of has that feeling in general of likability 
but at the same time, a, cer- a certain uh, there's a there's an edge to everything. But yeah. I think I think yeah. I, here's the thing. So when you're in West Texas, I mean, I ne- I've never lived there. I, I never grew up there. But when I've been there, you drive down the road. I was told by the actual. So there's an actual guy named Joe Bob who influenced Joe Bob. His name is Joe Bob Duncan. Uh, he's a great guy. I I love him. And yeah, so he told me I could borrow his car, his pickup truck, I can go around town, but make sure when I'm driving around, no matter what, I have my hand on the wheel, I have to go like this. Everybody that I pass. <laughs> Everybody that I pass. Two fingers up. Everybody that you pass, because otherwise they're going to hold a grudge against Joe, because they're going to oh, think wow. that it was him behind the wheel. And that's the sort of thing is that it's like, it's a niceness, but with an edge. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's like, I think that that's sort of, injected in every character there's a sort of nicest to them you know um but also i i think that i i try to like the characters when i'm writing them so i i mean and i i think that you want readers obviously to like them as well um but yeah i i hope everybody likes joe bob <laughs> is just, that yeah. is that kind of the most gratifying thing when you're going through something like this like taking something that's in your head and then putting it out there like getting the drawings back and then seeing that in comic book form, like come to life. Is that kind of like the Holy shit moment? Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I, there's very few feelings like it. I mean, I, I have behind me here. I don't know if everybody can see it, but I have the original drawing for, uh, for issue two, the cover for issue two. And that was just, I, I had actually, I had for a short film that I'd made called thesis. I had, contracted him to do a poster for me uh, for that, to try and drum up interest in it at festivals or whatever. And uh, he didn't have to do it. I wasn't offering a lot of money. And uh, he he did it for me, and that, he, I was really grateful. And I sent, I got it printed up. Uh, I have friends that spoke our gallery in San Francisco, and they printed it up for me. And mm-hmm. sent, I sent one out to him, and he has it framed in his studio uh, hallway now. Um, but so we sort of had a relationship already, but, uh, Jacob actually got him on board for a cover. And I mean, I was right from the idea. It's like, this is great idea. Yeah, sure. Uh, um, and then, you know, to see that drawing come in of this character that Jacob and I have been like toiling away on and to see this legend drawing him is just like, whoa, you know? Yeah, and just give so much character and depth, and and you know, I mean, Jacob's been doing an incredible job as well. I mean, like you said, it's 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 such a cool feeling to see. Like, a, so I I tend to write in a very specific, like sort of almost like a, if you're writing a script, so you're writing like screen directions almost sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I always t- I always write in the beginning of my scripts like take this as like a suggestion you don't obviously need to do it do whatever you need to do like get rid of panels if you need to like combine things if you want but like so I'll say like this should be like North by Northwest this should be a widescreen whatever and so there's actually a, a scene in issue three I'll actually show you because I have issue three right in front of me um, exclusive so this. Oh. Um, where it's all just like widescreen, you know, mm-hmm. and that to see that being drawn and, and done in such a perfect way was just like, I mean, it's 
it's it's literally like seeing your dreams come true so it's, it's really wow. cool you know oh. and uh and the way that he draws the characters and you know there's certain time, certain way certain ways that he draws characters that i wouldn't have necessarily imagined but i'm like that's it that's the character you know yeah. um yeah so that's cool thank yeah, you for it's it's great, uh, and for those who are listening to the podcast later, uh, there's a scene in issue three where it's just a car pulling up, well, a car pulling away, and then another car pulling up in the desert. And I I appreciate the amount of restraint you show in the book, that it's just, that's a dialogueless sequence that just lets Jacob do his thing and lets you really just focus on what's going on with the character, what's going on with the action. Uh, but it feels sparse in the right way. And that's a hard thing to hit. And I think you guys are doing it well. Um, where, what's the plan at this point? Like you have, you have that first issue. Now you're hitting what I assume was the screenplay, the story that you planned mm-hmm. out. Do you have stuff planned beyond that? Is it going to end with this story or what's the overarching idea? Yeah. So we have, um, so what we're planning on is issues one through six, and then we're going to take a break and then we'll come back in 2021 with the next arc, which is, um, but I, I see there's, there's a few story arcs. It's leading to a point. Um, so a lot of people mention that there's sort of like a horror feel to things, uh, mm-hmm. sort of lurking dread. And there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. It was very deliberate and I'm glad that people are picking it up. Um, cause it, nothing's worse than you writing something and then having people go, <laughs> what? <laughs> um, so it's really cool. People are picking it up, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's leading somewhere. There's a reason why, you know, maybe there's a reason why bad mm. things keep happening in this County. Um, and yeah, so I, yeah, that's, that's basically, that's the, where things are headed. Uh, the next story arc is, uh, we're actually going to go back to, uh, the past into 1981 um, when Joe Bob was a deputy and he, uh, he has to deal with the cult. So, um, yeah, that's going to be that story. So that, that's, that's more sort of dappling into a little bit more horror into it, but it's, it's still going to be a, a heavy crime story. Cool. That's awesome. Uh, I cannot wait, wait to check it out. Yeah. Can't wait for Chris, more. congratulations great. on the book. Thank you thank so you. much for coming on. Yeah, uh, everybody, time. go read that Texas Blood, and uh, good luck with everything. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, no take problem. care. Enjoy a poor Congrats. girl on us. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> All right. You got that All right, money to throw around? You got yeah, poor man. We got a Patreon. That goes 90% to poor girls. Oh, man. I wish. Actually, should be, if, I, if I had money for cheesesteaks, oh, man, forget about it. Oh, man, if you had money for that, you'd probably be sucking on a cheesesteak. <laughs> you walked into that, buddy. Yeah, sure, sure. You walked into that. You You're just fingers did. itching. You're just like, well, come on. Get anything close. Say cheesesteak, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks, we're going to move in to our next move section, on. which is my favorite section because you all make it up. It's your audience questions. What are you that, what am I drinking? We'll get to that in a second. Uh, but first, I just want to explain how audience questions work, Pete. Uh, if you are over on Crowdcast, I see a bunch of you already done this. Drop your questions and ask a question. If you're over on the tube, drop your questions in the comment section. I'll keep an eye on that. And if you're listening to the podcast, you know what? It's too late. <laughs> we already taped this. Sorry. Uh, but you can actually send us... Uh, yeah, I'll say. Send us an email, comicbookclublive at gmail.com. We're more than Sweet happy to read Zalbin, He loves that shit. 
I love it. I'll definitely forget, though. Uh, but you can tweet at Comic Book Live. Tag Pete, because he never lets me forget that somebody's asked a question. Uh, so let's get into it. This is the first one from Pete's Punisher Slippers. When faced with a moral right. quandary, a little devil and angel appear on the shoulders to offer advice. What comic book characters do they look like in the host's opinion? Mm. Ooh, good question. Right. Who are your comic book devil and angels? Okay, well, uh, do you remember the comic Hot Stuff? Uh, that's that's <laughs> yes. my little devil. Sure. And then uh, my little angel uh, is uh, Casper the Ghost. Uh, straight bullet guessed what I was thinking, which is a uh, red Punisher and a white Punisher. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. shoulders. Uh, I feel like my angel is probably Spider-Man. Wow. And I my- thought you were going to be like Angel from uh, Buffy. Oh, no, that's a good one. But uh, probably Angel is Spider-Man, and this is more apropos of a very long discussion that's happening in the Patreon Slack today. But my devil is maybe Batman, mm. you know? Wow. Like, Spider-Man is always like, no, do the right thing. Even if it's going to hurt you, it's fine. Just go ahead. Batman take like, it. Punch him in the face. <laughs> yeah. Do it. Destroy him. Right. Beat him for a minute straight, then say your vengeance. <laughs> I'm vengeance. I'm vengeance. Uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, great question. We, yeah, I feel I, like I, I want to, I, I think it would be like a uh, Punisher and then like, uh, another Punisher. And I, you know, either way it's, it's not good when I listen, when I'm starting listening shoot to him, the, shoot yeah. him. No, no, shoot him. <laughs> yeah, it's like, shoot him. Wait, ask him a question first and then don't wait for a response to shoot him. <laughs> uh, what are you drinking? Yes. Oh, what am I drinking? Uh, so this was actually a, a mistake that I made. Um, I got a mistake. Uh-huh. No, it was a mistake. I got a, a flying dog, and I meant to get just like a normal IPA. And when I took it home, there were two bottles of the brew of flying dog that I never get because I don't want my kids to see it, which is a flying dog raging bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so I took those downstairs so I could drink them tonight, throw it out, and they never have to see it. Oh, wow, yeah. Make sure you get them, do the recycling when nobody's up or something. <laughs> uh, what about you, Pete? What are you drinking? Uh, there's a little uh, little uh, cafe uh, called Vietnam Cafe in my new corner, and I'm having a, a scorpion bowl. Uh, oh, my gosh. Yeah, a little mixed drink, because you... As you said on Twitter, you're all about uh, cocktails now. You're a cocktail mm-hmm. guy. Uh, here's a fun thing about Scorpion Bowls that I found out this week as a cocktail guy, which I'm sure lots of people do already, but I didn't know. Uh, most of the tiki cocktails, like Scorpion Bowl, like a Mai Tai, have a base in them called Orgiat. And Orgiat is mostly made, usually, out of almonds. So the big flavor that makes tiki drinks like a scorpion ball, like Mai Tai Distinctive, is almond flavor. So mm. there you go. That's it. That's my fun fact. Uh, my wife, people at home don't understand what he's saying. Almonds. He's saying almonds. Wait, what, how was I saying them? I don't know how you were saying Almonds? Was, yeah, you were, it was kind of a weird... Is that weird? Did I say it weird? Wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. Oh, there, okay. Right? Well, I usually put a lot of almonds on my piano. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It hurts my ears. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. This is from Nelson Martinez over on the tube. Which what's villain up, character... What? Just saying, what's up, Nelson? 
Oh, hey. Uh, which villain character are you guys looking forward to seeing more of in the Batman, the Riddler, Penguin, Catwoman, or any other that you're more interested in? What do you think, Pete? What are you excited well, about? Well, I always get nervous when they put too many villains on the bill uh, that they're not going to get enough time. Uh, but they're making a lot of drastic casting choices, like uh, Colin Farrell as the uh, Penguin is crazy because he's just you know caked on. He's like Tom Cruise and uh, what you call it, where it's just so much makeup you can't tell it's him. So I'm interested to see that. Also, Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman sounds cool, but like, how much of each person, you know, are we going to get? So it'll be interesting. Yeah, it's a lot. The thing that I started to worry about, we talked about this again a little bit on the DC Fandom podcast, uh, listening to Matt Reeves talk about the movie was great, and he's clearly thought about it a ton. But once I saw the trailer, and once I started to think about it more, I started to get worried that it's one of those things like The Amazing Spider-Man, the movie, not the title, where it's, we're setting up a world of Batman. Here we go. Yeah. And it just ends up being a little overpacked that way. There was somebody hitting me up on Twitter saying that they thought they could see the smoke over the Batman logo. There was a cat that changes it to an owl. So they're sure the court of owls is going to be in it. And it's like, I'm fine. It's too much. I'm fine with like a really, I want to see a really good Riddler versus Batman movie. That sounds great to me. To throw in all of these other things gets to be a little overloaded and exhausting if they're like, as the Court of Owls, and they're going to pay off in the second movie and the third movie. And then also there's Hush and Ra's al Ghul and all of these. Like, I'm just concentrate. It's fine. Tell a good story. Get me hooked on it. And then I'll want to see more. Yeah. And then, and then give me more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My awesome, I'm also wondering where I'm going to see it. You know? Mm. Uh, probably nowhere. Yeah. All right, here we go. This is from First Hand Up Guy. I work for the census. How many superheroes are there? Come on, Nat. I don't know. Oh, Nat Townsend. Yeah, classic Nat Townsend. Uh, I believe, wasn't there the number with like, I'm probably getting this wrong, but back when Disney bought Marvel, they were like, we've got access to their 3,000 characters or something like that. That seems Maybe light. I'm, it does seem light. Maybe I'm misremembering that. Maybe it was something else. But I don't know. Uh, I want to say there's uh, 56,000 comic book characters. That's good. Put that on your census, Nat. Yeah, I'm going to say uh, one. Oh, there's one? Who's yeah. the one? I don't know. I haven't. Oh, I just, great, I, great I, answer. The price for thinking price about betting a dollar when you've gone so high, I'm just going on. Yeah, you got to stop drinking that tall scorpion bowl. It's messing with your mind. Uh, Bendito740 over the tube says, Whatever happened to Elephant Larry? Did you, anyone go on? <laughs> I, I'll tell you what, what I don't like this. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll answer the first one. I don't like the implication of the second one. Uh, whatever happened to Elephant Larry? Did anyone go on to do anything cool? Oh, man. A lot of them. <laughs> what am I doing right now? Is this not cool? Am I not doing a cool thing right now? Uh, where that name from come out, shout out to Caddy Daddy for fixing his mic position. <laughs> That's yes, thank you, Pete, for fixing that. Uh, to answer some of those questions, uh, so Alpha Larry, technically not broken up or anything, just Stefan, one of the members, this is my sketch comedy group, uh, moved to California, uh, and so it became much harder to perform stuff. Um, and then everybody got very busy with their jobs for a while. Chris was working at Comedy Central, uh, Jeff was writing yeah. for. Yeah, Jeff. 
And Jeff. And yes. Jeff. Wait, uh, one of Jeff. the Jeffs won an Oscar, right? Uh, Emmy. He won a couple of Emmys. He was writing for John Oliver. Now he's writing for The Daily Show. Uh, Jeff Solomon is doing a bunch of wild, crazy stuff that I can't even, uh, like, legally I can't talk about. What? Uh, it's all good stuff, but it's stuff that is in development is it, it, right now. Oh, okay. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it is, you, in, uh, if, if you ever see Jeff Solomon from my group, Elephant Larry, ask him in person what's going on with him, because it's wild. Uh, and I'm uh, doing a comic book show every week. Yeah, you are. <laughs> More than once a week. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Too many times. Uh, and the name, it's much too long and boring a story, but uh, the short version is we were trying to figure out names for a really long time. Somebody came up with the name Fantlar, and everybody we told the name Fantlar to hated it. Yeah. And then Stefan and the group was like, wait, what if we made it Elephant Larry? So it's Fantlar, which we all like, but everybody else hates. Uh, and then, but it'll be hidden in there. It'll make us happy. It sounds like a name you would like. I did like it. Yeah. We also briefly played with Elephant Gerald, which was a put on Elephant Gerald. Oh, wow. Uh, all right. This is from I Hate Wolverine. Based on the discussion for the Slack, what are your opinions on y'all about comic characters starting off as children's characters, growing and aging to become something that is arguably no longer children? Uh, I don't think it's arguable that if children grow up, they become something that is no longer children. Uh, but what do you think about comic book characters aging? What's your take on that, Pete? Well, I, I don't. It's it's just one of those things where when you kind of go into comics, it's you know, okay, the Punisher's too old to be in the Vietnam War, all that kind of stuff. And let's just, yeah, Batman's way too old. It's a comic. Let's, you know, there's got to be a certain type of, okay, you know, uh, we're throwing some things out the window here of reality so that we can enjoy this comic. Uh, so, I, yeah, I don't get caught up on that. But, yeah, sometimes with some origin stories, it's interesting but then it's like well now i don't believe who they are because of this origin so it makes it a little tough but i don't know i i like i just like having uh people be able to play with the the ideas and the stories that they want to tell and if they're good then they're good and they can kind of stand the test of time uh yeah i i find it annoying if it's not consistent is my main thing like a lot of people are complaining about there's a new Power Pack title that's coming out. It is oh, annoying. man. Is that like a slap in your face? Uh, no, it's fine. People can think whatever they think. I'm excited about it. But I have a problem with, like, they aged up all the Power Pack kids, but otherwise everybody else in the universe is the same age. To me, that's just weird. Just make a decision. Either time has passed or it's not passed. And they did things. The, the one that I think of, I think the th- first time I realized this I'm completely blank here on name, but there was a character in Alpha Flight who was introduced as a little girl and then probably about 20 or 30 issues later was clearly like 18. Like the way that they were drawing her was 18. And I was like, what happened? She was fine as she was. Wahoppies. Yeah, that's what I always say. Thank you for wearing my shirt, Pete. Uh, It's... uh, I don't know. I, I just think make a decision there. Also, Straight Bullet says, I think Joe is talking about kids' characters that are now skewed towards adults. Like, I don't know. We or might Kitty need more Pride, clarification. Like Kelly Pride being like, oh, yeah, she's an adult now, but... Or, oh, like the Powerpuff Girls. Yes, there was the recent news that Diablo Cody is doing a reboot of the Powerpuff Girls 
for the CW where they're going to be 20 somethings and like bummed out that they haven't saved the city. No. What do you think about that? That's kind of sad. I love Powerpuff Girls. Uh, fantastic cartoon. Really fun. Mojo Jojo. A lot of great villains. A lot of fun. Um, but yeah, it's when you kind of age them up, you're kind of taking away some of the stuff that made them great. So it's really like, okay, I'll wait and see if it's something that I feel is still Powerpuff Girls. Or maybe it's a new thing, and maybe there'll be good things about that. Yeah, I think you could play around. I feel the opposite, I guess. Like, as long as you're doing it in a smart way, if it's not just this thing older but grim and gritty, yeah. you know, if you have a take on it, if you have an idea, uh, go for it. That's fine. Yeah, just don't make it obvious it's a cash grab and you're trying to be like, hey, Powerpuff Girls are popular. Let's fucking try Yeah, to there we go. But now, that, but now they have sex. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? That's their joke. We're done. No, if there's an idea there, if there's something more that you want to say, that's cool. I mean, I'm sure not a lot of people agree with this, but like, I think that's the reason that Riverdale works is the initial. It's grown up Powerpuff Girls. You're right. Why didn't I put that together? I know, right? Uh, wow. Not about the Powerpuff Girls thing, although it is. But Riverdale, I think, works because the initial gag is like, what if Archie fucked? (laughs) And then it adds so many other things on in there that it exists as its own show. Like people like to call that out. No, no, no. But that's what it is. Like the initial thing is like, you're shocked because the Archie comics characters are having sex and getting murdered. That's the initial thing. It wasn't, it wasn't like Riverdale Archie's fucking, that wasn't, I mean, kind of like, that's what people call out about it. But I think like the thing that, it works not to make this an argument about Riverdale, but I think the thing that works about Riverdale is there still is the essential idea of we're going to take this Americana thing and like peel it back and show you the darkness that has always been there underneath. Like that is the actual theme of the show beyond just trying to shock people. Oh man. I, I don't know if that's the actual theme of the show. It seems like, Hey, you know, these things that you loved, we're going to take them and we're going to do some fucking weird shit. All right. Basically babies. You got them. (laughs) Yeah. The initial idea is a couple of seasons down the road. We're going to get some floating babies. Uh, Question here from I wonder woman. I wonder how you all feel about movies, trailers, and directors that use Leonard Cohen's hallelujah. Uh, Great question. Uh, I say the more, the merrier put it in every trailer. Put it in uh, every trailer. Every trailer. Yeah. Uh, uh, speaking of Wonder Woman, that was a great trailer. I cannot wait for that movie. Very excited. I'm a little worried about Cheetah, but I'm not going to let that stop me. I mean, there's fanny pack jokes. I mean, come on. If uh, You know what would have made, made it better, though, is a little hallelujah under it. Yeah. Yeah. If only. Yeah. No, it's overused. And particularly, I mean, if you're bringing up... It's still days later blowing my mind that Zack Snyder was like, hey, you know what was really bad in Watchmen is when I used Hallelujah to underscore the sex scene. Uh, What if I brought that back and put it under the trailer for the Justice League Snyder Cup? What do you think? Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. (laughs) Wait. Hallelujah underscore the sex scene. That's why, Pete, I, I don't know. I if remember you, that in the sex scene. It yeah. was an awful sex scene. It was awful. Really just Terrible. Horrible. Worst of all long. time. Like yeah. all timer. Yeah. 
and then yeah, he used Hallelujah to underscore the cider cut, which apparently like I I'm gonna I'm just gonna go like on a very slight, very rude rant, which I don't normally like to do. But yeah. first of all, he uh he chose it two years ago, apparently. I read an article about this where it was like two years ago, he was like I'm going to use Hallelujah for the trailer. And at the time, they were like, no, don't use Hallelujah for the trailer. He's like, no, I'm going to use Hallelujah. I used it in Watchmen. It's going to be really good Don't here. tell me not to use it. I'm going to use it in every trailer. Look how jacked I am. <laughs> I lift every day on set, bro. I lift Ben Affleck over my head. Uh, anyway, so then he decided to use Hallelujah. So, like, he stuck with his guns, and then finally they used Hallelujah, which I'm like, all right, I get it. It's finally there. You used it, even though it's un- reminding me of your terrible Watchmen sex scene. <laughs> but then there was, like, I don't want to call out the site, though you could probably find it, but in the article where I read about Zack Snyder choosing it two years ago, they were linked to, like, Zack Snyder's choice of Hallelujah in the Justice League Snyder Cut trailer explained. And I was like, what is there to explain here? I clicked on it, and it was a f- the one of the most insane articles I've ever seen in my life, where somebody line by line broke down Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, which came out, mind you, decades ago, and used it line by line to explain how it related to Zack Snyder's struggle. <laughs> Which is insane. The world is. Just- I know he has been through some hard times. I'm sorry, but like Leonard Cohen wasn't like I'm gonna write a song for Zack Snyder someday. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be called Hallelujah. There you go. Uh, oh, Letter- <laughs> That's my Leonard Cohen impersonation. <laughs> What's worse, Zack Snyder using Hallelujah or me talking like this from Leonard Cohen? Close. It's close. Yeah, my favorite it's was right. you were doing the, the Martian from Bugs Bunny, Bunny earlier. Oh, was yeah. I? Yeah, when you did oh, the yeah. first mm. guest. Oh, yeah. Bugs Bunny. Uh, all right, let's move on. Uh, ben the Border Collar says, Justin is the new Garden Shear wielding villain who is his heroic arch nemesis. Uh, folks, you've been on fire with these questions lately. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, gosh, I don't know. What stops Shears? Nothing, right? Yeah, I think it would be Justin before the pandemic is the only one who can stop the uh, craze cracked out uh, Justin that we have now. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably true. Like Justin does have the beard; he has the whole yeah. goatee yeah, thing going on. So that's the, that's yeah. Mirror Universe Justin. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, here we go. Uh, just a couple of comments here. Uh, Bilal Alyan on uh, YouTube says Franklin and Valeria Richards grew up, and I think it worked well. Um, I agree. It took me a little time to come around to it, but I think they've told some good stories with them. Do you agree, Pete? Um, what was the first one? Franklin, I kind of agree with. Franklin bit. and Valeria Richards, the two Richards kids. Yeah. Uh, I, the problem I have is I, I want a good Reed Sue story, and I keep not getting it, and it's driving me insane. You, yeah. Every story is about how Reed Richards does not give a fuck about Sue, and it's, it's just, what are you doing? Why are we putting this out there rep- repeatedly? Yeah. Uh, well, here's another one that you'll like this better. Jace the Archer says, just had a flashback, flashback to Pete's incredible Riverdale after dark poem, an all-time high point for Pete. I agree. Uh, yeah. That was incredible, Pete. If anybody hasn't ever listened to that, I think it was 
two episodes back on Riverdale After Dark, you, we accidentally tricked you into writing a poem, which you yeah. did, and it was wonderful. Uh, I get teary-eyed still thinking about it. It was really great. Uh, All right. From Eduardo over on Crowdcast, the fandom bonus episode reminded me that Alex hated Aquaman. I liked it despite not being a DC person, but mainly because of how weird it was, e.g. drum playing octopus. Alex, would you have liked it more if it leaned into being quirkier and dropped the silly action hero lines like permission to board, or is there some bigger structural flaw? Uh, So I'll say, I mean... I had some problems with it. My main problem was that it wasn't enough wild octopus playing drums, which was engaging, and there was some silly, quirky stuff. But the parts where it was very long and very slow and very ponderous at points, and that was annoying to me. Uh, it, I, I just got bored at points while I was watching it. I like Jason Momoa. I think he's good a good choice for Aquaman. I think the visuals were wild in the and I wish it leaned into that more. That's all. I'm excited Pete? for the next one. I I I liked it. I it was one of those ones where sometimes you can just turn off your brain and enjoy a movie for what it is. Other times it can kind of drive you insane with when you stop and think about everything. But I just thought it was just a real fun ride. Love the casting, um, and uh, I'm excited to see what they do with the second one. Well, I mean, to be clear, I don't begrudge anybody liking a movie ever. I mean, Rob Ziasad over on YouTube says, Aquaman was awesome. And if you yeah, thought it was awesome, you. that's great. That's awesome yeah. uh, to me. Uh, but the uh, thing that worried me a little bit about the second one is Patrick Wilson and James Wan talked very briefly about it during their chat on DC Fandom, which otherwise was a great chat where they took you behind the making of Aquaman and it was super interesting. I don't know if any of that stuff has been posted or leaked online, but search it out if it has. But they were like, yeah, we're going to go a little more serious in mythology building in the second one. I was like, no, don't do that. No, no more octopuses, more uh, the deep have uh, fish monsters with fangs jump out of the water. I want to see that. That's much cooler. Don't be serious. Come on. We'll see. I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, Here we go. Got a couple more. Uh, from Kevin, speaking of comics evoking a real sense of place, what's a real location you've never visited but feel like you know from comics and what and what comics? Pete, underwater because of Aquaman? Um, you've yeah, never I, been in water. You've never gone swimming. Well, what's funny is I really thought, and I've kind of talked about this before, but I really thought I had an idea of what Hell's Kitchen was like from the comics. <laughs> and when I moved to New York City, I was a little disappointed. Uh, mm. Not as much roof time fun as I really was uh, hoping for, but um, yeah, I uh, it's it's funny how like when you're kind of immersed in the comic, you do feel like you know the characters, you feel like you kind of know the the scenery and stuff like that. So, uh, but I I would love to kind of do that more, like go to places that are in comics and kind of see it in real life. I think that would be an awesome kind of like thing to do and i also think this is like the second time kevin's like kind of given us a places kind of question and i'm wondering if that's a clue for his quiz that we have yet to get interesting so kevin uh one of our uh listeners used to be a requisite question answer when we were doing the live show has a secret quiz that he's running for us we have yet to unlock it what was the word there was some word that he had pete uh, I, know I don't know. It was like uh, 
Quiz. Quiz Ooh, was the word. Yeah, quiz and seventies TV. Interesting. Huh. I don't know. I can't where, think of anything. Where are they now, Quiz? Where I mean I'll tell you, I feel like I've been calling comics? not to take a veer back to the question, but in terms of places this is this is not a great answer this is just sort of top of mind in terms of real place because we're just talking about this on one of the many other podcasts we do but uh box office poison just perfectly captures east village to me like reading that i wasn't necessarily in the east village in the 90s i was in there you know in the 2000s and 2010s and everything but like it just you get a sense there of what it was like and like we were talking about with Chris Condon a bit about the geography of the place and how it was laid out, which is very cool to me. Uh, and for fictional place, I'll just take Justin's answer he would have given, which is Star City, uh, which uh, Opal City, excuse me, Opal City, uh, which we can't go to, but I would love to. Uh, Josh says, why did you like Fat Lar? <laughs> I don't know. It was one of those things that uh, this is uh, going back to the Elephant Larry name. It was one of those things that just made us laugh a lot. Like we had all of these names. Uh, one of the other ones, we we narrowed it down to Fantlar and Squadron Squad were the two names we were going to go for. And we That's went down on the street and pulled people. And we were like, which do you prefer? This or this? Fantlar or Squadron Squad? And everybody was like, well, Fantlar is bad. So Squadron Squad is better of the two, but also not very good. Not very we we're good. like, oh, okay, but really, which one do you like better? And kept going back and forth. And ultimately, we we're like, well, let's figure out some way to do it. It all, it all worked out. Uh, last one from Jay Sinison. Why is Dick Grayson the only character's fans allowed to grow up? That's an interesting question, because I think yeah. there is a weirdness to the Robins constantly getting older and uh, Batman not. But that's the thing I love about Robins, man. I keep getting older and they keep saying the same age. You're so creepy. Don't lean into the creep factor. It's actually the opposite of that. I keep getting older and so do they. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It is weird to me. Like, Dick Grayson just works better as Nightwing, I think. Cypher is a dork. Interesting username. Uh, says Jason Todd sort of did, but it's confusing. Um, yeah, it. I don't know. It doesn't work as well as Jason. I get really bummed out about Tim Drake being older and more jacked because, like, I like him as sort of a teen Tim Drake. I think that's one of the appeals of him and to make him be like, yeah, I'm jacked and now I'm called Red Robin or whatever. Just not as interesting as a character. Like, I feel like they keep trying to reproduce this weird alchemy that happened with Nightwing and it just doesn't work with any of the other Robins. Yeah. I just, care, think, Pete? I just think that some characters that can age and some that it feels weird. It's like, I almost feel like the reason Jubilee can't age as much is because her powers are sparkles. You know what I mean? And that's great for a kid. But when you're older, that really sucks. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Straight Bullet mentions his uh, character name is Drake now, Tim Drake, which is legitimately the worst hero name of all time. (laughs) Who is Drake? The hero who wears a diamond mask and we can see basically his entire face. No way of knowing. Perhaps it's Tim Drake, but I don't know. 
Uh, all right, there we go. That is it for your audience questions. Thank you. And now it is time for trivia. And for that, we're going to turn it over to Pete LaPointe. All right. This part we give back to you, the lovely audience. Um, yeah, we just need a, a first hand up to kind of get this. Uh, a lot of people saying Aaron should do it. But she hasn't put her hand up, so. Ooh, Aaron should do it. Yeah, a lot of Aaron, Aaron, Aaron. Also, if you're watching on the tube and you raise a hand and you're not Aaron, if you do that first, I could just force her. I could just uh, pull Aaron into the stream. Oh, you she have no hands. She doesn't have hands. Yeah, so she can't. Oh, okay. Sorry. All right. Well, somebody else. Ooh. Nope, not a not a hand up. Nobody wants twenty five dollars from Midtown Comics. Not, not Come on, one somebody. Person. Uh, come on. We got somebody here. Anybody? Anybody on the Pete? Two? If you're gonna if this doesn't happen, uh, you're gonna have oh, to do. Go. Jason Innocent, here we go. Gonna invite you into the stream. Let's make this happen. Let's make some magic. Twenty five dollars to Midtown Comics. Hey, All right, hey. Jason. Citizen, hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? All right. All right. Well, uh, uh, thank you for picking up for Aaron, who says here she is reclined and slightly dying. Hope you yeah, feel better. Hope, hope you feel better, Aaron. Uh, All so right, here we go. Today's trivia is on topical comic news. Oh, I'm gonna, interesting. I, I'm going to read a question, listen to all three possible answers, get all three questions right. $25 will be yours. Here we go. Question number one. Jordan D. White has been quoted as saying there are huge things coming for what X-Men character? Is it A, Maggot, B, Storm, or is it C, Annette Benning? So it's either A or it's B. Let's go with B. B is correct. Wow. Jordan D. White promising huge things coming for Storm. We will see if it's one of those comic book lies or if it's actually true. Well, wow, you've changed, Pete. Well, just, Jordan G. White, your best friend under the bus. Well, I'm just sick of people saying, like, this will change everything. And then it goes that back Pete's, to work. Uh, spinoff podcast, comic book lies. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna tweet Jordan and be like, uh, Pete don't said start. you're lying about don't, things. Don't, don't start. I'm going to do it. I'm going to create some beef, some online beef. All right, here we go. Question number two. The new Endless Winter series from DC will have Batman teaming up with whom? Is it A, Wonder Woman, B, Harley Quinn, or C, Ed Harris? So it's either A, if you would like $25, or you could pick B. Uh, Let's go with A. A is correct. Batman and Wonder Woman teaming up Endless Winter. I'm excited about it. Should be interesting. Here we go. Last question. What comic book company will be honoring Native American Month with variant covers in November? Is it A, DC, B, Marvel, or is it C, Linda Park? So it's either A, don't pick it, or it's B, Marvel. <laughs> B is correct. $25 Woo! for your Congratulations. Send Incredible. 
Uh, great job. Congratulations. I like you've how won you're $25. Trying to figure it out. I appreciate the fact that you're trying to figure it out. Is it, it the out. Robin Williams movie, Man of the Year? Uh, no, but that's close. <laughs> it is The Face of Love, Robin Williams. Well, yeah, thank you, Edward Doherty. Uh, there we go. Yeah. Uh, shoot us an email at comicbookclublive at gmail.com. You're going to get $25 to Midtown Comics. Thank you for hopping in the stream. Great seeing you. Take care of yourself. All right. Uh, there we go. So close. Almost done with Robin Williams movies, Pete. Almost. How many do you have left? How many do you have left? <laughs> we, I don't know. We'll find out. Oh, man. You're just going to loop around is what's going to happen. No. Speaking of looping around, it seems like new comic book day has looped back around again. So what are you looking forward to, Pete? What's coming out tomorrow that you're pretty stoked for? Well, I'll tell you, there's a lot coming out that I'm excited for. Mm-hmm. It's a um, big day for comics. It's a big day because Lock and Key is back. Yeah. Oh, what? Come on, Lock and Key is back? Lock oh. and Key in Battalions Go, number one from the OGs, Gabriel Rodriguez, Joe Hill, and Jay Photos. Very exciting. Back together again. I'm also really excited. Uh, I was uh, Black Magic number 13. I've been loving that series. And then uh, the kind of the one that I wasn't expecting to love, Justice League Dark number 25. Mm. Fantastic. That's interesting. You're usually a Justice League with Almonds fan. Oh, dark chocolate is actually good for you. Fun fact. Oh, okay. Thank you for not uh, picking on me saying Almonds wrong again. Yeah. Uh, yeah, looking forward to all of that. I am also looking forward to X Factor number two from Marvel you Comics. Would be. Well, X Factor number one, I, I mentioned this on the Stack Podcast. I was blown away by, super surprised, had a blast reading that book. So that was definitely the one that I was very excited to get into. And all of those titles are going to be in our Stack Podcast tomorrow in the Comic Book Club feed and its own Stack feed. Also, I'll mention we will be talking about That Texas Blood number three from our great guest, yeah. Chris Condon, uh, on the Stack Podcast. So definitely Spoiler, check that out. Good. <laughs> Oh, man. I love it. Uh, All right, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. That is it for this edition of Comic Book. Thanks for remembering we do a show every Tuesday. Appreciate it. Oh, come on. He was on set. It's cool. It's not a problem. Uh, A couple of things before we go. I want to thank our amazing guest for being on the show, Gamal Hennessy. Check out his book, The Business of Independent Comic Book Publishing, currently on Kickstarter. Also, Chris Condon from That Texas Blood from Image Comics. Check that out. Uh, Next week, folks, we have a big show I'm very excited about. We're going to have Brian Joins, who is the writer of Backtrack from uh, Oni, which we have been loving that book. That's great. But also, we're going to have two guys you might know the name of. uh, Scott Snyder and Tony S. Daniel are going to be here to talk about their new project, Nocturnal. Uh, So that should be pretty awesome. Definitely tune in Tuesday at 7 p.m. A couple of other things to plug. Uh, You can check out Let's Hear It for the Boys, our boys podcast. It's very slightly on hiatus, but we are going to be coming back with new episodes from the new season. Also, Umbrella Pod Academy, our Umbrella Pod... Academy podcast is running right now. We're still making our way through season one, but we're going to get there to season two. We're going to get there. Patreon.com slash comic book club to support this show and the other shows we do. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen. Comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. At Comic Book Live on Twitter to interact with us socially. As we mentioned, email us comicbookclublive at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. Good night, everybody. 